Live from Salt Lake City, the Mecca of Mormonism. This is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to help bring people to the love of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Why don't we begin with a quick prayer. Father, we pray for your spirit to guide us and teach us in the core concepts we're going to be discussing tonight. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, tonight we are presenting a new format for you all, and we're on our Heart of the Matter Redux talking about Mormonism. On Monday nights, which is tonight, we're going to air our core content presentation, about 30 minutes worth. And then tomorrow night, Tuesday night, our standard time of airing, we're going to open up live, 8 p.m. Mountain Time, as usual, and we're going to... um, invite you to offer questions, to call in. We're going to read emails. We'll read your comments that you submit online. You can call in. You can write comments, whatever it is. We want to have a dialogue with people about what we talk about on the night before or anything else. So in essence, Heart of the Matter Redux will remain the same length, but come to you in two parts. 30 minutes on Monday night, we'll just call that the presentation, and then 30 minutes on Tuesday night of calls, emails, uh, your online comments, announcements, stuff like that. So getting right into it, I want to first talk about, on our first program returning to LDS, um, to be about what the, the LDS church calls the sacrament, which is called communion in some churches, It's called uh, the Eucharist in other churches. O God, the Eternal Father, we ask Thee in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify the bread to the soul, this bread, to the souls of all those who partake of it, that they may eat in remembrance of the body of Thy Son. And witness unto Thee, O God, the Eternal Father, that they are willing to take upon them the name of thy son and always remember him and keep his commandments which he has given them that they may always have his spirit to be with them. Amen. Now we're going to talk about the binding uh, message in that prayer. That's the prayer over their bread that the LDS give next week. But tonight I just want to sort of talk about the observance of the rite of communion, where it began. And of course, to learn that, we've got to go to the Bible. Anciently and on out today, the nation of Israel celebrates what's called Passover. And what that is, it's, um, it's a memoriam, a memorial of when the spirit of death passed over the homes where of the firstborn children of Israel, males, if they put lamb's blood on their doorposts. There are a bunch of curses that Moses put on Egypt for keeping the house of Israel in bondage. And when on Passover, the final curse, they put blood of a lamb on doorposts. And any house that didn't have the blood of a lamb or goat on the doorposts, their firstborn in that house would die. So the Jews celebrate this passing over of the spirit of death from the houses of their firstborn, and they were saved by it. On the night of his death and uh, Jesus, the Passover was being celebrated by the nation of Israel, and Jesus brought new significance to it by taking the meal that was shared traditionally for 1,500 years by the Jews and assigning it to himself, to his 11 apostles who were in the room. 
What was this meal? On the night the spirit of death passed over those houses with the blood of the lamb on the doorpost for their protection, those inside the house roasted the lamb that was killed for the blood that was put on the doorpost. And they ate it with unleavened bread. Now just kind of try to remember these little facts. They ate that lamb whose blood was shed and put on the doorpost. And then they would consume that lamb in the house as the spirit of death passed over them with unleavened bread. On the eve of his own death of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, he gathered his 11 apostles Judas has been, is actually, Judas hasn't gone yet. So Judas is possible. He's gathered the 12. And uh, they're eating a meal at this point in time. And he takes this Passover celebratory meal that they've uh, always had. And he assigns it to himself. Before he does that, Judas leaves. And then, they, then we read Paul say in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, explaining what happened. For I have received of the Lord. So Paul has received something the Lord gave to him specifically as an apostle to the Gentiles about this meal. For I have received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. This was unleavened bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So this is the beginning of communion, Eucharist, what the LDS call the sacrament. And after the same manner, Paul writes, he took the cup when he had supped, when he took a drink, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This you do as often as you drink of it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show, you are, you are illustrating the Lord's death until he comes or until he returns. Got that? So to them then, Jesus instituted a significant new way of a fellowship meal that had long existed with the Jews, taken from the old, but now assigned to himself as the Lamb of God who was going to be uh, uh, slain that night. And the spirit of death would pass over anyone who had that Lamb of blood uh, covering them, so to speak. It was a material memorial created to sustain believers and followers of Jesus in that day, during terrible trials and persecutions for Christians. And um, they did it through this communion. And that word communion comes from the Greek word koinonia, which is the same word where we get coitus from. It means intercourse and it means fellowship. So Jesus instituted this fellowship among his believers very early on with the 11 apostles saying, do this in remembrance of me and do it until I come. After taking a loaf of bread and giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Do this and remember to me. And then he takes the cup and he says, this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood, which was poured out for you. And they ended this feast because it was a meal. Remember, where at the end of it, they did did the bread. And at the very end of it, they did the cup. 
but it initially started as a meal with the uh, 11 apostles. They sang a hymn, so they ended it with a song, and then they proceeded to the Mount of Olives where Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and then he went and actually lived out what they had just done over those elements of the food and the bread and the wine. His body was torn apart. His blood was shed as the Lamb of God for the sin of the world. The meal was a profoundly and deeply impactful memorial regarding his offering for sin and death. And it had tremendous importance to the believers in that day who stuck together in fellowship. Remember that word koinonia? This was part of it, to eat together in remembrance of him and believe that he was coming to take them and save them from a growing hostility toward all things uh, Christian in that era. Of course, the materially based practice today has continued on. 2,000 years it's been going on, and it's very important among the religionists, the denominations, uh, perhaps second only to water baptism in its import. And naturally, it's approached, naturally, it's approached 10,000 ways till Sunday. By every different denomination, they do it differently. It's funny because they all claim to do it the right way, but they all have somehow changed the right way. At least most of them have somehow changed it. And it's in its execution and in its purpose. So what is so easily forgotten is Paul has the Lord placing a time limit on the ceremony itself. Did you catch that when I read it? He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. That's what you're doing until he comes. You're going to have this feast, use these elements to be emblematic of me, and you're going to do this until I come and take my bride, my church, from this earth as I promised I would within a generation. Because most of believers are blind to the fact that he has come as promised or has returned as he promised he would, most believers, especially the denominations, continue to do, implement, some sort of communion or sacrament or Eucharist in their weekly or monthly or annual services, somehow in some way. In fact, built into the practice of communion is a tacit affirmation that they're doing this until Jesus comes to take them. So last Sunday, yesterday, Churches got together and many held communion or sacrament or Eucharist and they partook of this. And built into that is the belief that he's coming back to get those believers who are still participating in this material ritual established by Jesus among his apostles in that day and age. Additionally, there is perhaps no more of a religious practice on earth. This is the most uh, religious practice. And what I mean by this is that according to the New Testament narrative written to the believers then, communion is a command believers had to obey. Why? Because Jesus told them to. He told his apostles, this is my body, breaking the bread, which is for you. Do this, do this, break bread, eat it together, drink from the wine together in remembrance of me until I come. 
So he certainly established it in biblical times. Must obeys, do this, is called religion. It was necessary during that time for them to do what Jesus commanded. Why? Because it kept them unified and it kept them as one. Remember, this was established while the temple was still standing. Paul talks about it while the temple was still standing. Judaism was still in control and the nascent gathering of believers were barely surviving. They were either falling off into apostasy, they were falling off into sin, or they were, they were not being pure the way the bride needed to be. They were rejecting the apostles. They had the Romans killing them. They had the Jews persecuting them. So this, this communion, koinonia, was really important to that bride remaining pure and unified during these 35 years, 40 years of tremendous trial upon the body. So, and this was before God established his New Testament where he writes upon the hearts and minds of believers. The New Testament was in his blood then and they were to remember it in and through this covenantal cup. Additionally, uh, communion is an ultimate expression of material religion because Paul said to those to use it at that time to examine themselves as believers. He says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, where it says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. You see? But self-examination in and through direct access to God by the Holy Spirit through Christ is a daily, constant, personal experience for those who are His and is not, is not tied in our day and age, ever since the destruction of material religion, to elements like bread and, and, and wine. Okay? So, and that's, that's kind of what the denoms want you to believe, is that you do this, you examine yourself, you eat of it, and, and admittedly, it's a very nice ritual. We love our rituals. And so it, it causes people who attend a church to actually do something relative to their religion even though it's in an age when God is doing things completely differently among those who are his. The model is really simple, folks. If the denoms, now listen, not if, but because the denoms standardize, corporatize, institutionalize material mandates on their people, whether it's water baptism, we do it this way or it's blessings, we take the child and we bless them this way, or it's communion or sacrament, they own their membership because they tell them this is the proper way to do this ritual. It is what God commanded, do it this way until he comes. And then when you do that, your allegiance is to the institution. For this reason, the more sinister approaches to communion demand it more frequently, in my estimation. I mean, there are people in the Catholic Church who take uh, the Eucharist daily, daily, as a means to uh, keep holy before God through this ordinance that the Catholics administer. So this is not of God who came to liberate people through the free finished work of his son. 
like most things in the New Testament, communion had a, a limited purpose for a limited time and a limited application to that small body of Christ, the bride of Christ that the gates of hell would not prevail against and had to be pure when he came to take her. As said, you want to do a study? Just go online and review the vast and varied approaches that churches have adopted relative to communion. It will blow your mind. So first, let's just talk about those quickly. And I'm setting the the stage for then some comments next week. And I hope we can talk tomorrow night when you call in about this topic when you were LDS or what communion means to you as a Catholic or or the Eucharist as a Lutheran or whatever it is. Make your comments online. Send us emails. Call in Tuesday night, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Mountain Time. And we'll talk about these things because you'll bring things to the subject that I'm ignoring. Okay, so the term Eucharist... That's the first general term used for communion sacrament, and it means thanksgiving. Eucharist means thanksgiving in the Greek. Uh, is the name used by Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, it's Roman Catholicism uses Eucharist. Anglicans, Presbyterians, Lutherans all use, we are now going to participate or partake of the Eucharist. Darn it. That fly is going to die. And, and so um, they... Uh, that is a name that they've decided to call it. Protestants typically have ignored that term, which again just means Thanksgiving, and they call it communion, the Lord's Supper, memorial, remembrance, or uh, breaking of bread. But when we come to the Latter-day Saints, they call it the sacrament. The sacrament. Now, we don't have the time, and I don't have the inclination to describe all the various religious things that men and women have created relative to communion, Eucharist, sacrament, in terms of frequency, mode, elements, worthiness, approach, blessings, all of that stuff. It's fascinating, but I will say, I have to admit this. Participation in communion is really nice. It's a beautiful thing that people do. Uh, it's rewarding. It's sort of like going to a chiropractor instead of going to a general practitioner uh, because the people are actually doing something in the, in the process of religion. They go, they stand, they kneel, they reflect, they think, they partake of bread. It's something tangible. They eat it in remembrance of Jesus, taking upon his name and all this stuff. And then they take the wine or the water, if you're LDS, and they consume it. And then this ceremony or ritual or rite ends. And it's just like going to a chiropractor. You've had a nagging backache. The general practitioner says, here's some drugs, take them. I don't know, you pulled some kind of muscle. You go into a chiropractor and they touch you and push you in all the right places. They actually do a hands-on thing. And communion serves a great purpose for people who need that in their lives. So I have absolutely no rub with people who enjoy participating from the heart of hearts in communion services. If they want to do that, I don't think God begrudges them, even though it's out of anachronistic, it's anachronistically improper relative to what Jesus says. But it's their choice. 
you're responsible for how you do it and why you do it. And, and that, I'll just leave it at that. Where communion becomes really fugly, in my mind, especially relative to what God established when he destroyed material religion and all of the aspects to it, is when institutions take communion, they take the idea of communion or the practice of communion, and they use it to control and manipulate their members. Or they alter its original purpose and its presentation. Or they thereby, so in doing so, they they therefore uh, make it something it was never supposed to be. And that's why I covered where it came from. Did you see what Jesus did? He gave thanks. He broke the bread. He gave thanks for it, broke it. They ate it. They did the wine. He drank it. They, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. That's all that it was said, right? Take and eat. So most people don't understand this. And this is where we come face to face with Mormonism, the institution. Joseph Smith, borrowing heavily from the Catholic idea of continued communion, continued sacramental participation in order to keep yourself holy before God through repentance and looking on your own heart. He said in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 162, being born again comes by the Spirit of God through ordinances. Being born again comes by the Spirit of God through ordinances. Jesus said the Holy Spirit goes where it wants to go. But Smith captured the Holy Spirit and he dressed the Holy Spirit in ordinances that are done only by the LDS because he claims uh, that he received the only priesthood viable to perform and execute these ordinances. And, and so their weekly sacrament is a, in relationship to an ordinance that the LDS provide relative to rebirth, which is water baptism. Echoing the founder's sentiments of Mormonism, Joseph Fielding Smith said in Doctrines of Salvation 2, 223, through baptism and confirmation, people are born again and thus come back to spiritual life and through their continued obedience to the end, they shall be made partakers of the blessings of eternal life in the celestial kingdom of God, end quote. So what we're doing is we're seeing how Jesus instituted this with 11 guys saying, do this till I come in remembrance of me as a, as a time to, to unify you as a struggling body of believers. This is what Mormonism did. In order to overcome sin, Mormonism teaches that a person must enter into a covenantal relationship with Jesus Christ. This happens when a person accepts the LDS only authorized water baptism. It has to be LDS because they say they're the only ones with the authority and it has to be their way. So that's the proprietary product. And they receive this water baptism, which Joseph Smith said is 
how you are born again by the Spirit of God through ordinances. So the ordinance of water baptism takes a person and it puts them under and it brings them back to new life and then they receive through ordinances again the gift of the Holy Spirit. Two ordinances only the LDS can do to give that person rebirth through the ordinances, right? What That is the proprietary religious product of Mormonism. And so by having it, they become the administrator of truth and the owner of souls, so to speak. So in receiving these LDS ordinances, our brothers and sisters, the LDS people, the Mormons, believe that they have taken on the name of Christ. That's what they believe happens when they are baptized, which is synonymous with them as being born again. And in taking on the name of Christ, they also promise at baptism to always remember him. And they promise to keep his commandments. Okay? And so what happens at baptism, they receive the ordinance. That is what the LDS say is rebirth. And then every week, after week, after week, after week, LDS people, especially the people who have been baptized as now members of the church, renew those covenants they made at baptism when they take the elements offered on the weekly basis at sacrament meeting. So they go to sacrament and they eat the bread. And in the bread prayer, it says, Oh God, the eternal Father, we ask thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who partake of it, that they may eat in remembrance of the body of thy Son, which was... Oh, I'm mixing up the water. But anyway, they say that they will take upon the name of Christ. They will always remember him and they will keep his commandments. It's in their communion sacramental prayer. So what this is all boiling down to is our LDS brothers and sisters have been baptized, usually when they're eight years old. And then week after week after week after week, they renew the spiritual reborn experience by worthily taking the communion set before them. This is a lifelong tie to religious observances provided only by the LDS Church. To remain faithful to taking on the name of Christ at baptism, a person must live worthily for the Holy Ghost that has been given them. And they must, if they've made some small infractions, repent of that at the communion table, the sacrament table. So they're thinking about their sins in the week. The sacrament comes by. It hasn't been an egregious sin that needs to be uh, confessed to the bishop, like something sexual, which is, or word of wisdom. And so they think about their sin. They remember the covenant they made at water baptism. They are sorry for their sin. They realize I've taken him up in the name of Christ. I'm always remembering him. And I'm, I promise to keep his commandments. I'm willing to keep his commandments. And they eat the bread. And this And then they drink the water, and this acts as another sort of baptism for them, so to speak, because they're renewing the covenants of their water baptism. Every week, except for General Conference Sunday and some other special times. So, in other words, to a standard Latter-day Saint, spiritual rebirth does not occur when God sends the Holy Spirit and writes His laws in their hearts and in their minds. It happens as they participate in these ordinances and the sacrament of the LDS church is kind of tied directly to the ordinance of water baptism. In fact, I think many people consider it an ordinance in and of itself that's done weekly. 
it really breaks my heart. As a result, most Latter-day Saints, not all, uh, God reaches many, but most wander about not ever experiencing true spiritual regeneration to give them new life. Instead, they find themselves chained to a hamster wheel beginning as early as eight years of age where they get baptized and then mommy and daddy remind them, remember, you've taken upon yourself the name of Christ. It happens almost perfunctorily for an eight-year-old. And, they, and remember, you're, you're always remembering him. And remember, you want to have his spirit to be with you, so you have to be willing to obey his commandments And then you come on Sunday to sacrament meeting and you sit there and the elements are brought by and it's tied to that baptism and those covenants made. And every week after week after week after week, you can only get it when you go to a sacrament meeting, some sacrament meeting. And that's why you'll hear LDS people say, I got to get the sacrament meeting. Why do they say that? Because they want to partake of that to renew their baptismal covenants, which is a hamster wheel of bondage. God wants a direct free relationship with you, with you. It comes unencumbered by men and their fanciful religious machinations that are used to tie people in to denominational uh, allegiance and service. He is there to any and all who want him in their lives. He's calling to all. He does not demand your complicity to organized religion, He's not demanding your complicity to embrace the billion different ways people are doing baptism and communion. And I mean, I mean, if he is, then it's, it's, it's really going to be sparse place in heaven and everyone else is going to go to this hell. And it just doesn't seem to make sense. He gave his son who saved the world and from sin and death. And he made you free. He gave you, because you're created in his image, the freedom to accept him directly because of what his son did. No more ordinances. Paul says those ordinances were nailed to his cross. But the denoms like Mormonism and Catholicism and others take ordinances and they reapply them to people because it keeps butts in the seats. Go to him. Speak your heart. Speak your fears your failures, your desires to know him, your doubts. If you don't believe him, tell him, I don't believe you. I help my doubt. Uh, Be honest as a cup of water with him. He can take it. He can see clearly through you anyway. Ask him into your life and then wait. Wait for him to work in you. Don't wait to belong to some church that puts demands on you like the ones we've just talked about. Don't wait and listen to me and believe me or follow me. Don't follow any man. Go to God directly. You have that right by virtue of his son giving his life for the whole reconciliation to occur. He wants honest hearts that want him. If you want him, go to him. Tell him, I'm mad at you. or I love you or I seek you or why don't you talk to me? Be honest. Be upfront. Call in tomorrow night. Because that now, as you've heard this section, think about it. What has communion, sacrament, the Eucharist meant to you? Is it necessary? Prove it. Prove me wrong. If you're LDS, I'd love to specifically hear from you about the things that you think and why you think the sacrament of water and bread is vital to your salvation. Because essentially, your church does teach that. And we would love to dialogue with you and hear what you have to say 
here on Heart of the Matter.